Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Brefni Early and you are listening to Kiss My Arts here on the podcast. It is episode 129 of the show and I'm not quite sure how to introduce today's guest. I was There's so many different possibilities you could talk about. Former inter-county footballer, a actor, a writer, a poet, a playwright... But I maybe mean, I want to let him introduce himself. Seamus work. Maybe you need no introduction to the people at Leitrim at this stage, Seamus. I don't know. Good morning. Um, no, I, I, I don't know what to call myself. People, um, that's one of the things. You, you go somewhere and, and you have to write down your occupation. And I still, um, in most cases, I still write down carpenter or something like that. Because I don't really? want people to start... Uh, Thinking of notions. Analyzing what you do. And the first thing they say is, I, I've never seen you on television. And um, so uh, I just avoid all that. Um, and a strange story, just when we are on this subject, I, I went to buy a new van a couple of years ago. And I went to two garages and they were mad to sell me. I said, I want a new van. And they were mad to sell me a new van. And they gave me all sorts of options and they were very interested and spent a lot of time with me. And then they said, what are you, are you a builder or what are you doing? And I said, no, I'm in the theatre business. And just like that, both of them dropped me like a hot spud because they thought, well, that man can't have any money for a new van and there can't be any business uh, doing theatre in this neck of the woods. So it's a, so anyway, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what to call myself, but uh, I, I usually just keep my head down and say nothing. Let's talk, first of all, about some exciting news. Your first book is out today as people are listening to the show. Obviously, we're having a chat a few days ahead of time, but uh, this Sunday, you're looking at a lock of poems, recitations and good ones. From Seamus Rook. Where did you get the title from Seamus? Because it doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> or well, maybe it's completely well, it's, uh, I was trying to get a, uh, a title that would say uh, exactly um, <laughs> what, it is, <laughs> what, it, what it is. And, and, and that's what it is, basically. is. Um, I, I was saying, I've said this to loads of people I sent to you earlier. I, I don't really consider myself as a poet, I think. Uh, poets are a lot more serious and sadder and more dour than I am, but uh, and, and they dig a lot deeper. But kind of was trying to avoid saying a collection of poems. Um, so uh, that's the way I'd say, you know, it is a lot of poems and recitations and uh, a few stories uh, that people might enjoy. Um, and the feedback I've had so far is is very positive. You know, it's not a Certainly not a heavy read anyway. Um, I was saying to someone, it's kind of the prequel to Peter and Jane, those sort of books. In terms of, I suppose, giving people a push to maybe get up from wherever they are listening to this this morning or this afternoon, if they're listening to the day of release Sunday, where and what can they find? Where and when can they get a copy of this? Or how can they get a copy of this today? Yeah, um, uh, it's self-published, so um, it's not going to be in every bookshop in the country, but um, Mulvey's bookshop here in, in uh, Carrick have it in stock, and I'm hoping to get it into uh, lots more uh, bookshops locally. You can also buy it online if you go to uh, seamusorourke.com. Uh, the book is online there, so you can just pay by PayPal and it'll be posted out to you. Um, and we're having the book launch um, today. Uh, if this is going out on Sunday, uh, in Mitchell's Bar in Carrigallon at five o'clock. And I'm going to, uh, because a lot of these pieces are kind of performance pieces as well. So I'm going to be 
doing uh, doing some of the pieces and I have um, Fiona Maria Fitzpatrick, a good friend of mine, fantastic singer-songwriter, and uh, another friend of mine from London, John Devine, who plays Ellen Pipes, and we're going to put a little show together on the day and have uh, a few sign-ins and a bit of food and a uh, very relaxed evening, hopefully. And then a big row at the end, you know, where we all get drunk and fall out onto the street. And, uh, no. <laughs> no, it <laughs> sounds like an absolutely great That doesn't evening. happen in Kerry Gallon. No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. In terms of you and, and growing up in Kerry Gallon, tell us about Seamus as a, as a boy, as a, a young man. What was life like for Seamus or? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I always imagined it was like a lot of people's lives we grew up on a, a small farm didn't have a whole lot of money lived out in in uh, i live in a place between carrigallon and newton gore we always uh we didn't have you know we didn't have a television to start with we didn't have a, an indoor bathroom we were um but we thought that was very normal and 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 our world was very small and and our outlet was basically going to mass on a Sunday, and um, once a year we'd go to uh, Carrigallon to see the Carrigallon community players doing their play, and we the play would be supposed to be at nine o'clock, and you'd get there at five past nine, and the play wouldn't start until five past ten, and you'd have to watch them putting up the set, and everything was a kind of very um, there wasn't a, any great sense of professionalism within the in the production, but. Um, the acting and the, the stories were, were always great and I was always fascinated with that. But um so there, there wasn't much to do. You know, we 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 brought the cows to the bull and uh, we listened to the radio and uh and we went out to the field in front of the house and, and played football. And uh, my father wasn't really a footballer, uh, he'd huge interest, but you know, we were always provided with a ball and, and myself and my brother uh, that was our passion from a very young age and I think you know we were encouraged at school of course we went to school I forgot to say that yeah I, I now and again I didn't I didn't like school um, I just didn't like being told stuff <laughs> <laughs> was it been told what to do or been told no not so much told I, I don't know what it was I, I, I didn't um I kind of wanted to find out these things myself as opposed to being just taught it. And, and I think the f to be told that there are these lines that you must stay within, um, first of all, confused me and, 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 and didn't sit well with me. And I was talking to somebody recently about this because I went to, I went to do a little talk in um, a school in Longford there a couple of years ago. Now, I... I would not be cut out to be a teacher, but I, I this man asked this principal asked me to go to the school and talk a bit, little bit about writing and and um, just chatting to the kids. And it was a, a national school, so we we started off with the youngest class, which was uh, about maybe seven and eight year olds, and we worked our way up to the to the 12, 12 and thirteen year olds who were ready for the vocational school or secondary education. And I was quite taken aback by how open the really young kids were and 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 their um their sense of imagination was 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 so great and as we got up through the the classes the kids became more uh reserved and more prim and proper and in their own eyes thought they were better kids you know they they so when i eventually got to the 
12 and 13 year olds, they all sat there like like statues saying, we are going to listen attentively to you. And I thought, we've actually killed all these, killed our kids' imaginations. We've, 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 um, we've somehow um, made them believe that this is, we must, we must uh, adhere to rules as opposed to using our imagination. So, um, so we didn't, I didn't, I wasn't up for that. Uh, and maybe that was good. That was a good thing. And then I left school when I was, um, I went on to um, uh, the vocation school in Carrigallon and I had great teachers there. Uh, Eamon Daly from uh, Drumshamba was the, the vice principal and then the principal of the school and he was my English teacher. And um, I mean, it's not that, um, he, he was just a very, uh, he was a man who appreciated the arts and he appreciated English and he appreciated all these things and it's not that I was into those things at the time but it was just I could see there was hope for uh, for humanity when I met these people like Eamon Daly and, and but I left school as quickly as possible I was the minute I was 15 I left school and became a carpenter I haven't regretted it's a very strange journey for want of a better word in terms of Go 15, leaving school, becoming a carpenter. Obviously, then football became a big part of your life through mm. your early or late teens, early 20s, playing with Leitrim and, and I suppose with Carrie Gallon as well at the time. Where do you go through playing county football, being a carpenter, as people would see it from the outside looking in, unfinished education to where you're now writing books and performing plays? How, how does that happen? Where's that, where does that leap <coughs> take place? Or was it always there in your life? No, it it wasn't. Um, I I think the whole the reason I ended up writing stuff was with a view to performing stuff, um, and that I was uh, I was asked the similar question, and I was trying to work that out. You know, there was a there was two sides to me. One was one I was uh, people might believe this, but I was quite a shy young fella, and and I wanted to. Fade, fade into the into the surroundings and and becoming uh, a carpenter and you know you can it's not a, a you can hide in that world, but the other part of me was you know apart from the actual playing of the football, there was a sort of a performer in you that you wanted that stay. I mean, for me, those people say you, you didn't you didn't take to the stage until you were twenty five, but the ten years before that, I was on a different stage. Uh, <laughs> it was a little bit too big for me at times because <laughs> no, I was going to say that because arguably a much bigger stage in some respects in terms of the numbers watching on a on a one off basis. Totally, yeah, and I think that's that that you know, was, um, and it, this has become more apparent in in recent times. You know, a lot of footballers are performers, you know, and they want to, uh, apart from you know, knuckle down and win things for your club and your county, they also want to show off their skills and and. In some ways, that's kind of been taken away, taken out of football now, because if you're one of those people, uh, you're kind of sidelined. It's a bit like the scenario I was talking about at school. You, we want footballers now to fit into systems and to be good boys. And if you get into trouble, turn back and uh, give the ball to somebody else. And, and uh, you know, it's it's become a very safe game or it's all about um, facts and figures and, uh, you know, um, how long we have the ball and all these so there's not that sense of um individualism i suppose that i was looking for now 
that was all in my head, you know, I, that I wanted to perform as a footballer. I wasn't uh, good enough, I suppose, in lots of ways. But um, so when so when that when my football when I I got a few injuries when I was around twenty five, and I, I I I eventually got myself off the county panel <laughs> because it was harder to get on it, get off it than it was to get on it at the time. And so I had had a lot a load of time on my hands and. Um, and just it so happened, and that's thirty years ago this year in nineteen eighty nine. The Corn Mill, where um, Carrigallen community players were building a purpose built theatre in Carrigallen, which was a ludicrous idea at the time. Uh, and they also wanted to bring in some young people so that uh, the the group wouldn't just uh, die off in, in in lots of ways. So that. They, they came up with a play, um, wonderful man and director, uh, Gus Ward, came up with a play called God's Gentry, which there was about 30 people in it. And he canvassed around the country. Any any young people that he thought might have an interest, uh, he just asked them and he asked me. And I was asked more because I was a carpenter and that I might help making <laughs> sets. And I had access to a van and I had all those uh, things going for me. And that's how I got asked. And I got a very small part in that play. And... But the minute I stepped on the stage, I, 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 there was something, uh, something wonderful happened, and I said, "This, I want to do more of this." And and so, although in one part of me was completely shy, I, the stage was somewhere where you could uh, that that wasn't an issue because you were a character, or I don't know what it was, but um, it it opened up a whole new world for me. And then at the end of that. First year, someone said, "Oh, usually someone writes a poem or something at the end of uh, the end of the the run and uh, about what what went on over the past few months." And I thought, "That's that's kind of a that'll be a thing for me to do now. We're having a bit of a party some night, and I might just do a wee poem." And rather than write it down, I I was working for myself at the time, and and so I was going around and I. I was making it up in my head and and so it became very much about the rhythm of it and the um so I I wrote this a wee poem uh but I never wrote it down it was in my head and I I performed it then on on this night in question and uh it was one of those moments where you can see people going I never thought that fellow could do that and all of a sudden you get this confidence that maybe I I can do something that I didn't you know that it can because there was a little it was a little bit different than you know your normal uh rhyme and couplets yeah yeah exactly so um that gave me a little bit of confidence so i went on then to uh you know just every now and again would pick a subject and 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 start to make up the poem and always in my head you know i never never thought of writing it down and i um and that's the way the first three or four pieces that I've ever done that's the way they came about so I, I didn't really write them down until well until now some of them it's funny because that's where you first came to my attention uh, I can't remember when it happened probably sometime around the start of this decade you did that lovely piece about Leitrim in 1994 and the trip mm. to Crow Park and that just seemed to be everywhere um, was that the first time or had you been doing a lot of stuff up to then or was that when you first came to the public consciousness at least I think that's um, that was the first time uh, that it came into 
the larger public. I, I've been doing these pieces uh, around home and and I did a couple of bits with, uh, funnily enough, Joe Duffy back about, Joe Duffy had a kind of a, an off, um, he had a program, he used to be, he used to be Joe um, Gayborn's uh, right hand man, and then on a Saturday he would uh, he he'd go around the country and um, do go to places like I think it was the County Hotel. He came to back in the early nineties, and I was asked to go on, and and I did a few of these pieces, and and they went down well. But of course, back then you had no internet, so you didn't really get any feedback on on any of that, and the. The Leitrim thing in Crow Park, that came about, I had written that obviously in, in 94, but this was two or three years later, I think, or maybe maybe even into the noughties when um, uh, the local secretary of our local GA club said there's people uh, looking for GA stories and would you send, you might send them in that piece that you, um, you did about Leitrim. And uh, so I thought, well, I don't want to, send in a written version because it doesn't have the same effect really it doesn't have the same effect and i i hadn't it written down anyway <laughs> and i was wondering how how will i get this to them and and, and uh, i rang them and, I, and they said well put it put it up on youtube now i hadn't uh we had the internet and and i was aware of all that but i just had never done anything like that before so i put it up on youtube and all of a sudden within a few days there was thirty thousand hits or something on it and so that was uh my first um experience of something going viral and um so then i thought right well i'll put something up now for the next because i had a load of pieces that i could do and and so i I may give myself a challenge that I would put up a piece every day for 10 days. Now, I was scraping the bottom of the barrel towards the end of the 10 days, but I did get up some of those pieces that I had, you know, things like the wake and stuff that people kind of associate with me now. But um, that's how it was the Internet, really, that got me out there. And, and then when Facebook came along, that was an even easier way to get stuff out there. And... Um, you know, for to get eighty thousand people to watch a video is uh, it's it's great exposure. You know, absolutely, it's every man, woman, and child in each of them two or three times over. When, <laughs> when, you, when you think about it, so yeah, yeah. When, when you think about it just on that scale, it's it's it can be huge in terms of the exposure that it gets, but also the yeah. profile that you get from it. But that has created the opportunity for you to to give up the carpentry essentially mm. and move full time into performing and writing and. How do you see this phase of your life in terms of your career, and or what what exactly do you do on a day to day basis? Like, what does your life look like? Because <laughs> you've come in here this morning very relaxed, Um you don't look like a man that has any stress in his life oh, at all. Yeah, um, I get that a lot. Uh, you go into uh, because after I was a carpenter, I went on to manage a couple of businesses, and I ended up in uh, um, Newton Gore Engineering. You know where we we did. A lot of agricultural sheds and stuff and so a lot of farmers would know me from there and 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 you know one day they were seeing me out in in, in the yard uh drenched in rain looking for uh, some bit of uh iron or something and then a few months later i was uh, supposedly a, a full-time theater person or whatever it is just like you were asking and they'd come over to me and they'd say what does your day consist of? Because 
there is a thing in rural Ireland, and I have this problem myself, you know, unless you are bogged to your uh, knees in, in clobber and heading off with something on your back and something in your both hands, then you're not really working. So um, it's taken me a long time to get over that uh, <laughs> uh, because I, I genuinely uh, am far more, I'm busier now than ever I was. Because I'm doing something that I absolutely love doing. And if I wasn't doing this on a full-time basis, I'd be doing it on a part-time basis. And if I was retired, I'd be doing this, you know. So, um, and in some ways, that's that's great uh, to be so uh, content at what you're doing. But then the other thing is you find it very difficult to take yourself away from it for a week or a fortnight, or which I think can be good for... A body if one did that so um i haven't had a holiday now in about three years so i think um, i might be due a few days away but you but, told me you were in boris the can last week is that not considered a holiday no? <laughs> yeah and i i was very well treated in boris the can last week but that was for one night only and i drove back that night so uh not sure if it's a complete holiday but um i kind of jumped into this a little bit naively because 30 years ago when when i i got the bug for for acting you know i genuinely had ambitions to become an actor and uh to become a professional actor and 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 i had a few opportunities but in the meantime i had a i had a, a, a family um and three small kids and there was part of me saying you know you have to be yeah um, you, you can't just run off with the circus, you know, you have to, um, because even at, at then I was aware that the acting game isn't isn't the, the steadiest uh, job in the world. And then um, about, when is it, 2012, I think, uh, I, uh, a theatre company called Live and Dread were doing a play of mine called Ride On, and uh, I was playing one of the main characters and and they said will you will you do this on a you know we're doing a four-week rehearsal and then we're doing two weeks and then we're going to do a tour and uh, would you like to be involved and it was it's just after the um the recession had hit and i was in a job that you know i i, I kind of felt i was surplus to requirements only it was with really good people and they were keeping me on and and uh but my heart was in in the theatre end of it, and I I made this mad decision that I would I would yes do the play, and I would also uh, be available then for all sorts of other things, and and to because the kids were kind of rare, and so it wasn't as big a uh, a risk I suppose at the time, but I very quickly realised you know you think oh I have four weeks ahead of me, and then another two, and that's six weeks, and then you realise you know what am I going to do after that, and and I genuinely you know began to panic because you don't get work as an actor you know the 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 amount of times you're going to get a phone call saying we want you to be in a play in dublin is minimal uh, yeah and um so i i began to think well i've written a couple of plays and maybe i should start to sell my own wares you know so that's when i i decided to uh um write more and uh Unfortunately, the problem with being a professional is now you have to write plays for one or two people as opposed to play with 10 people, you know, because you just couldn't afford to uh, do that. So I, I wrote a, a few um, 
I started to race and, and, and I've, I genuinely have never been a day idol since I turned professional, uh, if that's the right way of putting that. And I, um, But you've gone a route where rather than wait for that phone to ring, which as you say probably doesn't happen or, or happens so irregularly you couldn't rely on it to pay mm. for a coffee, never mind mm. pay for a family. So you've gone and you've made your own work. You've gone and actually produced your own plays. Mm. got a van that you managed to eventually get a van yeah. and you've gone on the road doing one man performances where it's essentially just you and a and a tech guy yeah. on a night yeah. so it's it's a little mini industry in itself and if you can fill a, a community hall like i've seen you do in mm. Leitra village on a couple of occasions if you can fill a hall and keep 100 people in there at the price of a normal theater ticket mm. it's a it is really a professional it's it's a it's a proper business it's a proper yeah. sustainable well, this, business yeah and i think that you know as i said uh, in my working life you know I, I went from being a carpenter to kind of managing businesses and i was very aware of how how business works and and so that was a, a real plus for me you know I, I was very savvy when it came to uh making the whole thing work and and so i i kind of created a business that wasn't really there before and 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 I call it the traveling shop you know I put my my wares into the into the the van and I bring them around and if someone wants to uh to purchase then then I will and I will go anywhere so I, you know because there's a lot of people involved uh, really good people involved in theater but they came in at such a young age that theater is the only thing they know and they think it's all about hanging about hanging around with the right people and and being in that circle and i don't particularly want to be in that circle i just want to be able to do what i love doing and uh and and be able to uh afford to do the next thing and you know i often say the, when I do a show in, in, in a community center somewhere in Leitrim or Cavan or wherever it is, you know, it's not, uh, you are not um, hit by a load of people coming up to tell you how wonderful you are. The first thing you hear is the rattle of chairs, they're taking away the chairs so that we can have indoor soccer tomorrow night or, you know, and that's the community thing. And But I like that because uh, I, I don't want it to be this, um, theater sometimes gets, uh, bad name because it's we're all too um, you know we, we we hang too much importance on it. I want it to be something that the people ordinary people can go and appreciate. Uh, and I know I'm, there's a bit of a, a line there where you you have to be careful that you don't make it uh, you don't water it down too much. I, I just I'm just trying to take take the the pomposity out of it if you know what I mean and and make it more available for for ordinary people and, and to bring them on a little journey and i want them to be fairly sure that i am not going to go into some dark place or into some very uh convoluted world that they have no interest in going on you know because all all of the stuff that i write is about about normal everyday people and and they're the people i want to appreciate it it's funny because the two plays i've seen you perform in recent years are the sand park and porter pot's guide to walking now both of them are about funerals and about death and but they're two of the funniest performances i've ever seen so you have this unique knack of of making death and what quite morbid subject matter hilariously funny laugh out loud funny you know we, i grew up in a house where you know there was just always um 
and I think this is a lot of houses, you know, there's a sense of humor within that house that there, you get a, there's a sort of a dry sense of humor in our house and someone else. Yeah, but, you know, a sense of humor is a wonderful thing to have in a relationship or within a within a family. And we had that. And so I grew up, you know, always kind of seeing the f funny side of things. And some of the earlier things I wrote, you know, recitations and some of the stuff that's in this book, I started out very angry, sometimes with my dad. You know, you got that father son relationship and I, I, I started out uh, with this angry view, but when I started to put it together in my head, I could I couldn't help but see the funny side of it as well. So so there was always in my what I was doing there was always this mix of uh, comedy and uh, tragedy, for want of a better word. I'm, I'm not saying there was anything tragic about, about my relationship with my father, but you know that uh, I suppose what I, I'm trying to do within the plays is talk about subjects that aren't really are, are subjects that we don't like to talk about but need to be talked about. And, and I use the comedy as, a, as I said to someone, I use the comedy as a sort of a handrail for people to hold on to so that we can go to that place. Now, it doesn't always work because people, a fella rang me up uh, one day, I was in the van, I was on loudspeaker and a few people in the van with me and he came on and he said, um, he says, you wouldn't have any plays without suicide. <laughs> and uh, it was a very strange request, but it's, it's because I'm trying to, I suppose, rise and mirror what, what's going on all around me. And all these things are happening, whether we like it or not. Now, I know people who recently, you know, who, who hated uh, the sand park because I mentioned chemotherapy, you know, and, and part of me says, well, if I can't mention chemotherapy, then it's uh, there's not much hope for us, you know, but that's fair enough you know there are people who just don't want to to uh there are always triggers for certain people i suppose yeah, yeah, yeah and i know that and i'm very aware of that and i'm i'm not in any sense sent, um, setting out to to shock people or to to bring them uh to trivialize any of these things or it's just that uh i kind of want to talk about it and uh but want to do it in a way that is both entertaining and 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 you know you and everyone will tell you that the best way to get people to uh, to a place is through laughter and 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 sometimes so sometimes you have roars of laughter and yet uh, there's tears involved as well you know and that's life I think yeah absolutely you know and the saddest funeral you've ever been to. You eventually, an hour later, will see two men standing at the gate, and they'll be telling, having a laugh about something that happened, or maybe the person that that has passed away to have a, a story about them. And I think that's very important that we realise that this is only a circle. It's not a, you know, I'm certainly not trying to uh, make little of of people's um, certain events in their lives. It's not. I'm not talking specifically like that at all. In terms of your work, do you see yourself more as a producer of plays or as a writer of plays or a performer of plays? Which aspect of your work do you prefer? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I love uh, having an idea and, and going in and looking at a, at a, at a blank um, page on, on uh, 
on a computer and saying um, let's let's start here and see where it takes us and and i love that aspect um i love performing i'm not sure i, I genuinely I'm, I'm not sure i um that's maybe why i'm feels <laughs> i look so relaxed I, I i genuinely like all of it and i like the production end of it too because it's that little bit of business you know that i i did for so long and, and i can still uh i can still do that and i'm a very hands-on type of person so i'm not much used to uh i don't bring people in for instance the book you know i i would have formatted that myself and came up with the the cover and the design and yeah you know there's not too i didn't go anywhere um, seeking help with it you know but you can get so much now online and, and everything is a little bit simpler but uh i i'm not sure i i really i love performing but i think probably i like that thing of having something written down that's going to be there for for eternity you know Will you read one of us, one of the pieces for us? Before <laughs> you go? I mean, it'd be a shame to have you on the show and not ask you to actually uh, to perform. You don't have to read it, if you, whatever. Whatever no, you're comfortable I, I, with. Yeah. Um, you may, might know something off by heart at this stage. Uh, one of my favorite pieces at the moment is um, myself and my brother used to. Uh, he he has the farm at home, and and when we were young, there was always he. He was always mad to um, help, and I was always very reluctant to help. And and um, so this time of the year, you know, it's a horrible time because it start to into the fallen season, and uh, there's no slat sheds back then, so you'd be heading off up the hills with um, hay and all that sort of thing. And because we were young, fourteen or fifteen around at this stage, and we were playing football, and and so. It wasn't enough to bring one bale of hay. We used to tie two bales of hay together and, and wrap them around our shoulders. So we were both carrying two bales of hay and kind of racing each other up up the hills at the back of uh, a bit of land that we had. So this piece is called Farming. Farming. I hated spreading top dressing, manure, dung when I was young. Farming's not for everyone. Oh, I could cock hay all day, shank butts and rake and ted and torn. I loved to burn bushes too and whins and father. Aye, fathering was okay. Run off out through the fields with a back load of hay or bales. Race the brother up Killern Hill, two bales apiece. Sink into your hoss and daub and blue clay. The tramp ground weeping, the silver king seeping. Killern's mud all mush and sorrow. Ploughing through gaps and collapsed drains, the outlying farm that never quite got reclaimed, the good intention shamed by cowtracks and winds and briars and scrub and rushes and bushes, only good to born. That was our song. Me and the brother, he was older and hardier, but I was thick. A big thick head that you couldn't bait with a big stick. It's hard to bait being thick, so Mammy said, and she'd know. She had four of us. And for the record, I hated farming, especially spreading dung, no fun. But in the spring of every year, that was our author. Me and the brother in the top field with a bottle of tea, no author, just tea in a bottle, and heaps and heaps and heaps of dung, all delivered by the 135 and the link box, and a homemade pull-up tailboard, a contraption before its time. The old fella, the inventor of labour-saving devices, except when it came to spreading dung. No, that was done by hand because we had wet land and spreading dung with the grape helps teenage boys grow. You can't reap if you don't sow, and although we never sowed, we kept spreading the manure. The litre man's version of mass. Not sure if it's doing any good, but keep doing it all the same. 
In this field, we pray and prance about with slightly soiled farmyard compost. Exercise, our bread of life. Feed the land back to itself like eight in your own arm. And as the bottle of tea cools in the small field with the two fools and the setting sun, the brothers meet, the work complete, the mounds of dung all now beneath our feet. This as close as ever we'll be, me and my brother in the top field with blistered hands and charred knees. You can have the land, my friend. I look elsewhere for my rainbow's end. Not easy to be found, but there has to be easier ways of falling down. You take the thorny crown. And I'll take my leave and begin my search. You look after the rude and perch, the small holding, the home place, the land of our father's birth. You're the better man, to be fair. And I left my brother standing there, farming. Wow, I love it. I have heard that before, but it's just quite, it's it's just phenomenal. It, I love it. Um, it's really visual and it just brings you out to that field with yeah. yourself and the, the yeah. brother as teenagers. <laughs> it's great. It's, yeah. Congratulations. I, I love I love your work. It's great. Um, in terms of, let's go back and just wrap up, I suppose, today is the, the launch of the book. That and others are in the book for people yeah. to actually to I learn themselves. The, my greatest hits. My only hits. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it looks it looks really what not lovely. A lock of poems, recitations and good ones yeah. by the lad from Leitrim, Seamus O'Rourke. And it's yeah. been launched tonight in Mitchell's in Yeah, five o'clock this evening, yeah. So you can be home for uh, for the hot cocoa uh, if you're that way inclined. Absolutely. Well listen, the very best of luck to you. I know it's gonna be an absolute rage and success. Thanks a million. And Brittany. the best of luck with everything you do in, in your own career. Thank you very much. That, of course, is Kiss My Arts here on Leitrim Daily. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Seamus for joining me. And, of course, I will be back tomorrow with the sports roundup of the weekend. Talk to you then.